Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, Psalm 107 this morning. I'm going to read uh, a lengthy passage of Scripture. I'm going to read verses 1 through 32 this morning. Uh, this is a psalm uh, which basically says it's a thanksgiving uh, for God's deliverance. It's a thanksgiving for God's deliverance. You may be looking at that and thinking, personally, that doesn't apply to me because I don't know exactly if I've ever been delivered from anything in specific. Um, but if we are children of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, we can, te- can teach and preach a tale of deliverance because if you have been saved, you have been delivered from the pit of sin. And this is the kind of the perspective that the psalmist writes this. And beginning in verse number one, it says this, and this is a directive to all of us. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim, or let the redeemed of the Lord say so, that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and they were thirsty. Their spirits failed within them. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and they rescued them. He rescued them from their distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and for his wondrous work for all of humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and he has filled the hungry with good things. Others sat in darkness and gloom and prisoners in cruel chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the counsel of the Most High. He broke their spirits with hard labor, with hard work, and they stumbled, and there was no one there to help them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress, and he brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and for his wondrous works for all of humanity, for he has broken down the bronze gates and he has cut through the iron bars. Fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their iniquities. They loathed all food. They came near the gates of death, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent his word, and he healed them. He rescued them from the pit. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and announce his works with shouts of joy. Others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and he raised a stormy wind and that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down into the depths. Their courage melting away in anguish, they reeled and they staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then they guided, then he guided them to the harbor that they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and for his wondrous works for all of humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that it is our very life source. It is, as your word says, it is the milk. It is the meat that sustains us as your followers. And I pray this morning that you, Holy Spirit, would speak through the word. 
that you would speak through, uh, through all of the, the connections and the cables that get, is getting this message to people's computer screens this morning or their TV screens this morning, Father. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would dwell with us, for we are gathered together in your name, and we know that you are in our midst. So we welcome you, and we give you full reign in us today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder this morning, I was just kind of kind of asking and, and uh, see how many of you have, uh, have, would say that you had a good Thanksgiving, even though this was a Thanksgiving unlike any other. Now, you can kind of comment there in the section there if you want to. You can, you know, comment an amen or whatever, or comment how, how you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving holiday. I'm not sure how you celebrated it, but at the Holmes house, it was definitely different this year. It was actually at a different house because we've moved uh, in the past year as well. Um, but uh, it was also different because we couldn't, you know, we, we decided not to have as many people over as we normally do. We didn't get with our extended family like we normally do. And I know many of you probably had to make some arrangements and maybe even get creative with the way that you celebrated Thanksgiving at a social distance in some way. A lot of people I noticed through, uh, through social media and as I was kind of looking on the internet to see kind of different ideas that people used uh, to kind of navigate this, uh, this Thanksgiving during a pandemic to be able to still try to feel like you're together even though you kind of had to keep distance. Uh, there was a lot of ideas kind of floating around. I, I noticed even Martha Stewart, who was like, you know, supposed to be like the hostess with the mostess of days gone by, you know. Uh, she's the one who's always put on, you know, always has all the expert advice on how to decorate and how to prepare a meal and how to host and all that. Martha Stewart devoted an entire like section of her website to how to navigate Thanksgiving in the pandemic. There were some pretty decent ideas in there, but then there were some other ideas that other people used that were kind of, that were really good ideas and really creative ideas like so in decent weather areas like Florida and maybe in parts of Texas and California and other areas where it was still warm people just moved their meal outside they just kind of had everything out in the backyard or in the front yard or something like that and they just kind of enjoyed their meal outside so they could have more people around just kind of like they did in the original one back in 1621 now other ideas weren't so good some of these ideas were just plain awful one like sick in the head person I saw online said that she and her friends instead of having a meal together we're just going to get together and do a 10 mile run now, I don't know about you, but that is like the antithesis of Thanksgiving and everything that it stands for, okay? You don't run for 10 miles unless you're chasing the turkey that you plan to either put in the oven or in the deep fryer that day, right? You don't run after or for anything on Thanksgiving Day. You sit around and you eat. Then you run the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day to try to work off all those, all those calories, a lot of families decided to have dinner together on Zoom, you know, the, uh, you know, just get together and kind of look at each other on the computer screen as you, as you stuff your faces, although that's not the greatest picture in the world probably. The best thing that I saw was a story of a grandma in Minnesota who last year her granddaughter had kind of tugged at her tails the whole year as she was baking her famous pumpkin pie. And even though the little girl seemed a little bit too young, her grandmother promises, next year, sweetheart, I will bake this pie with you and I will teach you my secret recipe. So they made plans that the next time that they got together, they were going to bake this pie at, the at 2020 Thanksgiving. Well, obviously, it didn't happen that way. So here's what they did. Grandma in Minnesota FaceTimed with her, with her granddaughter in Florida, and she taught her how to make that pie. So they made two pies. 1,800 miles apart so they can somehow have some sort of semblance of togetherness at Thanksgiving. Now, I'll give you a second to go get a Kleenex and wipe your eyes and do all that because there's some heartwarming stories in how people kind of got through Thanksgiving this year. But I believe every one of us would agree that we made some sort of sacrifice to what we normally do, what we normally do. 
And uh, we did all this with the collective hopes that next year we can come back together and celebrate the way that it feels right with everybody together, the people that you love and cherish, the people that you are thankful for, being together around one table, giving thanks to God for his goodness. See, there's no doubt that 2020 has been one for the ages, and by that I mean I hope that the Thanksgiving like this year never comes around for a bunch and bunch and bunch of ages to come. Because you don't have to think very long to find things that we could bemoan and things that we could complain about in 2020. Because let's be honest, it's been a rough year. You almost are scared to ask what's next because it keeps answering the question, oh, you haven't had enough? We'll throw some more stuff at you for 2020. It's been filled with sickness for many. It's been filled with fear for most. It's been filled with death for some. It's been filled with division and with contention and social unrest and not knowing what tomorrow may hold. It has been a rough year. It's okay to say that, even as a child of God. And a lot of people might be tempted to sit back and say, what is there even to get together and give thanks about this year? There's nothing good that I could give thanks for. And maybe it would be better off just to cancel Thanksgiving anyway. Maybe, we, maybe some of you even decided that. Maybe some of you even said, you know what, we're not even going to get together. We're not even going to try to celebrate. We're not even going to have have a meal because there's really nothing to give thanks for this year. But I believe this, that for the church of Jesus Christ, for the child of God, the follower of Jesus Christ, to give into that temptation to say, Thanksgiving is just canceled. Giving thanks is not a thing that I need to do right now. Is get, it leads to the same place that temptation, all temptation leads to. It leads to a place of sin. To hold ourselves back from thanksgiving in any season of our life and to live outside a spirit of thanksgiving and refrain from expressing gratitude is scandalous for the believer in Jesus Christ. It diminishes the goodness of God and it also diminishes the beauty of the gospel for which doesn't matter what's going on, we can always be thankful for the beauty of the gospel. So the question is, what should I give thanks to God for? Why should I give thanks to God, especially when things seem to be so bad and everything seems to be going off the rails? And all of my friends, my, my non-believing friends that I've been trying so hard to witness to, they're even more skeptical of God than they've ever been before. Why should I give thanks to God who seems to be silent at this point in time in our history? When hardship abounds, when blessings seem to be sparse, it becomes much easier to ask this question, what good is it to give thanks in this season? Why should I thank God for COVID-19? Why should I thank God for the social unrest in my nation? Why should, I thank, why should I give thanks to a God who doesn't seem to show up when he's the most needed? Because this is one of the hardest parts of the Christian faith. This is why we walk by faith and not by sight, church. Because returning praise to God when he doesn't seem to be good should be the core value that we have in our life. Because even when things don't seem to be good, God still is. Do I need to give thanks to God for COVID? No, because God doesn't expect me to thank him for all of the bad things, but he does expect me to thank him for being there through all of those things, that I don't have to walk these things alone. There's a friend, the Bible says, that sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We don't have to go this alone, and for that and for that alone, we should be on our knees every day, hands raised, giving thanks to God. How do I return praise to a God that doesn't seem to be good? Because that's the key word. The key word there is seem to be good. There are many things, there's many circumstances that seem one way, but in actuality, they're really another. You see, the problem with looking at a perfect and holy God through the veil of broken circumstances of a fallen and sinful world will always give me a distorted view of his glory. 
And that's what many of us are tempted to do. We want to praise God. We want to sing out to Jesus Christ. But we look at God through the, through the like tinted veil and the distorted lens of our broken humanity. And we look around and we see all these things going on and it makes it hard for us to see the beauty of God. But I promise you that on the other side of all of this stuff that we are living in now is a perfect and a righteous and a beautiful and a holy and a powerful and a mighty God who when he looks at us, he doesn't look through the veil of sin. He looks through the veil of his son, Jesus Christ, and he sees us purchased, bought, and redeemed, and his child. This is the greatest example that we have in Scripture of continuous gratitude when things are bad is the person of Job in the Old Testament. Job had life going great, man. He had everything to give thanks for. I mean, he was the richest man probably in the world at that time. He had a beautiful family. He had everything going for him. And then one day, everything just went kaput. God didn't cause it to happen, but he allowed it to happen. Because he knew that Job would give continuous praise to a holy God who is holy and righteous, even when things around us don't seem so good. Job is a beautiful example of that. And if you notice in the first verse of our text this morning, it gives us three reasons why we should give thanks to God, even in a year like 2020. He says, give thanks to the Lord, comma. That's the first reason. We should give thanks to the Lord because he's commanded it. God has commanded it, and as his followers, as his children, we should obey his commands. He says, give thanks to the Lord. And then he says, for he is good, semicolon or comma. So why do I give thanks? Because God is good, and God is good all the times, all the time. And then the third thing we see is because his faithful love endures forever, period. Give thanks to God because he's commanded it. Give thanks to God because he's good, and give thanks to God because his love endures forever. It will outlast any test that we will throw his way. Our love for him should outlast any test that may be thrown our way, much like Job. If you've been a follower of Christ for any amount of time, you know that we've heard and we've preached and we've said and we've testified so many times and reminded in Scripture so many times that God is good that it just becomes something that because we're so familiar with it, it just becomes something we get apathetic over. And then when we're really put to the test to see God's goodness through all of the stuff and all of the junk that's going on, we begin to fail it because we come to take God's goodness for granted. When things aren't going exactly perfect, we begin to think, where is God? God is in the same place he's always been. He's always been. He's on his throne, looking down with love and mercy and compassion, and yes, justice upon his creation. See, the thing is, is that God is God. We are people. We are human. God is God, and we are man. He has complete power, and he has complete authority in this world. He didn't have to be a good God, but he chose to be a good God. See, he could have lived in his, entirely in his justice, that when we sinned, he just looked at us and said, fine, I'm going to judge you for sin, I'm going to condemn you for sin, I'm going to hold you in that condemnation. But thanks be to God, because of his grace and his mercy, he sent Jesus to, to, to kind of soak up all of that sin on the cross and to pay that debt for us. And so that means that in light of anything that we may face on earth, God is still good. God is not good because we made him be good. God is good because he chose to be good in his infinite power and his authority. And this is why we have to give him thanks in every season, because in every season, God is good, and God is God, and he is always good. And in verse number eight of our text says, let, us, let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love, for his wondrous works for all of humanity. 
This phrase is repeated three more or four more times in the text, in verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31. The reader can obviously pick up the fact that this is a song, uh, a poem or a song, and that this phrase right here is the chorus to the song. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love, his wondrous works for all of humanity. See, I read these verses and I see that my God longs for me to cry out in praise for his blessings upon me. When you look at that verse, that chorus, we see, and it's repeated over and over again because it shows us God's desire. He wants us to give thanks to him, to give praise to him, to give honor to him for the goodness that he's given us. But the problem is that my flesh is so prone to complain. My flesh is prone to wander away from this Thanksgiving spirit. What about you? I can get wrapped up in things not going exactly like I want because I'm a little bit talked about this before. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Everything has to be just right at all times. And if not, my world feels like it's falling apart. It's a tough way to live. It's also a tough way to follow God because if my view of God is that God is going to keep everything perfect for me, then I have a wrong view of God. See, God is not, God is not, it has not promised to keep everything perfect for me. He has promised to perfect me through everything. And that's God's goodness that I give him thanks, that in spite of everything and through everything, God is good and God is there. In verse number 43 of our text, we didn't read it, but I want to call attention to it. It says, let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. Whoever is wise, you want to be wise? You want to see the world the way God intends us to do? It says, let whoever is wise pay attention to God's goodness to his mercy, to his grace, to the things that we're going to talk about this morning. Pay attention to those things and give thanks for those. Consider his acts. See, if we're smart, if we're gospel smart, we'll take the time to examine God's blessings for us, even in the midst of a year where it doesn't seem like there's much that we can be thankful for. And this will help us better understand his goodness and his grace. I mentioned Sunday night that, we, uh, that I was on a Zoom call with our, with our finance team for four hours. Now, that's not something to be thankful for, to be in a four-hour finance meeting, but that four-hour finance meeting turned into a, a good portion of it, turned into a time of just returning thanks and praise to God. As you're sitting going over the numbers and trying to predict how 2021 is going to go and look back on 2020 and say, man, we, we, we just couldn't have budgeted for something like this. One of our finance team, uh, finance team members spoke up and said, you know what, I got to say this, that, I mean, 2020 has been rough for all of us. But then he said, but honestly, he said, for me and honestly for our church, I really see that, that God's been good. That 2020 has also been a good year in a lot of ways, too. And then he went on to just kind of begin to count one by one the blessings that God has shown us, shown him and his family. And then after that, another finance team member spoke up and started sharing their blessings, and another finance team, and, and then I shared my blessings, and it just turned into a session where we were just sharing the goodness of God and doing what the Bible says to, to worship him with the spirit of thanksgiving. And all of a sudden, our outlook changed on everything. Because there's some of you sitting there right now that even though 2020 has been difficult and even though 2020 has been filled with things that we could turn and say, man, I'm afraid or I don't know what's going to happen or we could be angry. There's some of you right now who need to choose to trade that in and look at the blessings of God and thank him for that. It will change your perspective and your outlook on everything. And I'm also thankful that we have leaders like that that are leading us here at Graceway. Who, when it could be very easy to say, oh, we don't have, or this is against us, they say, no, but whatever may be against us, our God is for us. I'm thankful for that perspective, and that perspective is only possible because we do have a God who is for us. 
See, we can be very skilled at examining all the things that we think haven't been, that we haven't been blessed with, but a happy and a satisfied Christian will learn to take constant inventory of thanksgiving. See, what we're really good at is taking inventory of what we don't have. And if you ever worked in retail, ever worked in a store or something, you, you had, if you ever had to go through and do inventory, you take stock of what you do have, you take stock of what you don't have, and that helps you know what you need to have in your store to satisfy your customers. But what most of us do, we're constantly taking inventory, spiritually speaking. But what most of us do, and what we're prone to do in our flesh, is as we take inventory, we keep a really big list of the things that we don't have. And we don't really pay much attention to what's already on the shelf. And here's what God tells us. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Right? That's in the Bible. That's, that, we, that means it's true, right? So if that's the case, if God says I will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, that means my shelves, what I need, what God has said he will provide, he will provide everything I need. My inventory will always be checkmarked full. But what we do is we keep this false inventory over here of all the things maybe that I don't need but that I want that God hasn't necessarily given and then what we do is we look at it and say, well, God hasn't given me what I want. He's only given me what I need. He's only keeping his word and what he said. And we say, God, why aren't you good to me? And I wonder sometimes why God, God doesn't just sit back and cross his arms and say, I'm keeping my word. Not only am I keeping my word, giving you what you need, I'm giving you what you don't even know that you need. You're not even wise enough in your spirit to even want and yearn for yet. This is how good our God is. We need to keep a Thanksgiving inventory. So I want to give you seven items on the shelf, if you would. Seven things that our psalmist gives, and you're thinking, oh no, seven points. I promise we'll go through them very, very fast, okay? Number one, the first thing that God has given us is found in verse number two, and that is redemption. I can give thanks to God for his redemption in my life. In verse two, he says, let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe. We have been redeemed as followers in Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. That word redeemed is from the Hebrew gael, which means bought back through kinship. Now, if you remember, if you remember back in February, before all of this stuff kind of broke, we were going through the book of Ruth. And the best way to explain this is by using the story of Ruth. When, when Boaz was the kinsman redeemer, if you remember that story, Ruth was, Ruth was a widow from another country that, wasn't, uh, that was hated by Israel, and she was living in Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was also widowed. And they both were destitute without any help, especially in that type of society, because everything was patriarchal. It went through the man. And Boaz, who was a kinsman, he came in and he said, I will marry Ruth, and I will redeem the land that Naomi's husband had. And so Boaz, through his redemption, through his kinsman redemption of Ruth and Naomi, gave them a new life. It also put Ruth into the bloodline of Jesus Christ. You see, this is what Jesus does for us. He doesn't just go up and say, okay, how many sins do you have? I'm going to lay it out to the penny and cover your sins. He redeems us and makes us his own. He redeems us and receives us as himself. His righteousness is imputed, the Bible says, upon us. When we were redeemed, we were bought with a price that we could not pay and we could not afford. Only Jesus could afford it and only Jesus paid the price. So the question that we have to ask as we take Thanksgiving inventory is, am I truly thankful for the price that has been paid for my eternal salvation? You see, we look at the image of the cross, or we talk about the crucifixion, or we talk about, as we come into the Christmas season, the birth of Jesus Christ, which is the beginning of the gospel plan. 
How thankful are we really for those things? How thankful are we really for Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his work in resurrection, his work in redemption of our lives? Because without it, we've got nothing. There is no redemption. See, many claim to be offended by the bloody nature of our faith, that we plead the blood so much, the blood of Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, blood has always been the currency of forgiveness. When Jesus bled and died on the cross... It covered our sins to wash us clean in the eyes of God, to redeem us, to purchase us, and buy us back through kinship. He bought us and redeemed us by making us one of his own, which means now that I'm not a slave. I am an heir. I'm a prince of the king of kings. The second thing that he gives us, the second thing that we can be thankful for is found in verse number six, and it's his deliverance. He has delivered us. See, countless times in the Old Testament, God speaks to his children, Israel. He spoke, speaks to him through Moses. He speaks to him through Joshua. Later on, he would speak to him through the prophets. Because, and why did he have to speak to them so many times? It's because Israel was very fickle. Israel would love God and worship God and him alone for a while, and then they would begin to turn their back. And God would bless them, and they would begin to turn their back. And so, so many times as they began, as God began to remove his hand of blessing again, and they began to get to this place of destitution and desperation, they would cry out and say, why is God doing this? And God would send a man to say, do you not remember when you were in Egypt and I brought you out of Egypt? Every time, if you go back through the Old Testament and read it, God always goes back to the time when he brought them out of bondage in Egypt. Why? Because he reminds them that without him, they would still be in slavery. In church, the same thing applies to us today in the New Testament. Without God, without his deliverance, we would still be in bondage to sin. Still be dead in our trespasses and sin. And if that's you this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, you're still in slavery to sin and you need to be delivered from Jesus. Maybe you're having trouble being thankful for his deliverance because you haven't experienced it as of yet. You see, we've been delivered by so, from so much. And the question for us as we take inventory is, when was the last time I really stopped to take inventory of what I've been delivered from? Because I'm a child of God. I've been delivered from the bondage of sin. I've been delivered from eternal death in a sinner's hell. Many of you can tell stories about how you've been delivered from addictions of alcoholism, of drugs, uh, addictions of, of, of immorality, pornography, addiction, all kinds of addictions. That God delivered you from that. That's his power on display. Some of you say, I've been delivered from sickness. Some of you have been healed from cancer. Some of you have been delivered from deep depression. Some of you right now are still, as I think of, of our discipleship pastor right now, Jason Lale, who has been in the hospital for the better part of a week now fighting COVID. Just this morning, he texted and said, things are starting to look up. That's God's deliverance over his physical body. As we continue to pray for him, we know that God is showing this power and this deliverance. There's unseen deliverances as well. I can't tell you how many times... I'm driving down the road and something happens to my side that I didn't see even happen. I'm thinking, man, that could have been really, really bad. Or I looked up at just the right moment to stop. And I'm not going to tell you what I looked up from, you know, my phone probably, texting. But I looked up at just the right moment to see that I needed to stop or things could have been bad. That's God's deliverance at play. So no matter how he's delivered you, every time he delivers, he offers us new hope. And so he's offered us and given us something to be thankful for, and that's his deliverance. The third thing that we can be thankful for is his leadership. In verse number seven, it says, he led them by the right path to go out to a city where they could live. 
See, how often has life placed you in situations where you did not know where to turn? That you had no idea which way to go? I think probably a lot of us, especially this year, could probably relate. Not knowing what was going to happen tomorrow. Not knowing what news was going to break. Not knowing if your company was going to last through the shutdown. Not knowing how you're going to put food on the table if the, if the unemployment did not come through in time. Not knowing what was going to go on. Not knowing if your friends and family members were going to survive contracting COVID. All of these types of things going on. When was the last time you were there? Through all of this, God, like the great shepherd that he is, has led us as his sheep. And he continues to, to lead. In those situations where we don't know where to turn, it's a wonderful blessing to know that we can always turn to Jesus. We have a God who has it all under control, and he knows where we are, and he knows where to lead us to. And he leads us with great care and with great intentions. I have this, uh, this like sailboat plaque that my grandfather, who was a pastor for many years, he's retired now, he gave me, I mean, right when I first got into the ministry. And it's just like this little silver, like sailboat. And it sits on my desk right beside my computer screen. And it has this quote on it that says this, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. I believe it's a quote from St. Augustine. I, 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 I see that that plaque, and I see that quote so many times as I sit down and I write my sermons, and as I'm praying in the morning, and as I'm reading my Bible, because a lot of times I need to be reminded that where the will of God is leading, I won't have to go alone. God will always be there. Just like a great shepherd in Psalm 23. Shepherds lead their sheep, and sheep are to follow their shepherd. So the great shepherd will always lead you in the right way and in the right path. And one day he will lead us all home, even though as he leads us, he may have to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. But at that moment, we don't have to, as the, as the word says, fear any evil because he's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. So we must give thanks to God for his abiding and continuing and nurturing leadership. The next thing that we give thanks to him for is his fulfillment. And that's found in verse number nine. I, was, I, I can totally relate to God's fulfillment because this past Thursday I woke up and I woke up to the smell of turkey and ham cooking in the oven and, and then broccoli casserole and corn pudding and uh, I think we threw vegetables in there somewhere, I'm not even sure. But, but I woke up and I smell all this food and instantly my stomach starts growling and telling me, man, this is going to be good. And I told myself and I made myself only drink this little meager cup of coffee and I waited and I waited and I waited. I skipped breakfast and I didn't eat anything because I knew how good it was going to be. And when it was finally time to eat, man, I dove in like an animal that had been rescued from the desert, that had not had anything. And that's exactly kind of the idea behind the text that we look at here in verse number 9. It says, he has satisfied the thirsty and he has filled the hungry. And he hasn't just filled us up with anything. He says he fills us up with good things. Tells us that he satisfies the longing soul. He satisfies the parts of the soul that we're not even in tune to, that we don't know that we need yet. He is satisfying those things. He satisfies the longing soul. And isn't it interesting that it doesn't say he satisfies everything we want, he satisfies what we need. See, because he's not a magic genie in the sky serving our every whim, we are his servant serving his will that will never lead us, remember in a place that he will not be with us. See, our fulfillment in this Christian life is directly proportionate to our hunger for him. Catch that. 
your fulfillment in your life as a Christian is always going to be in direct proportion to the hunger that you have for him. But it's, also, it's a trained hunger. There's a hunger inside of us that we don't even know about, but it's also a trained hunger that we have to tap into. I don't always hunger for the right things that my body needs. But eventually I can train myself to, to hunger for the things that I need. So let your soul long for righteousness. No one who hungers and thirsts for Jesus will ever walk away unfilled. You hunger and thirst for Jesus, he'll always fill you. The next thing is kind of odd to say that we're thankful for, and that is his conviction. And that's found in verse number 12. It says, because they rebelled against God's commands and they despised the counsel of the Most High. It says, he broke their spirits with hard labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. So in stark contrast to those who were fulfilled with the goodness of God, it's the emptiness and the conviction that comes when we rebel against him and when we walk away from him. See, verse number 11 says that we walk away from God and we despise his commands. It puts us in the state of rebellion. And then what happens is he, he doesn't have to bring punishment. He just has to remove his hand of blessing. And then all of a sudden we begin to fall under all of these, all of these things. Verse 12 says that he has a way of getting our attention as his children. See, the opposite of fulfillment in God is conviction by God. And we are to be thankful for both things. Say, why would I be thankful for the conviction of God? Because God doesn't send conviction on just anyone. God sends conviction on those who are his. Just like a parent at a playground who doesn't discipline all the other kids who are acting up, he disciplines or she disciplines their own children. God will chasten, the Bible says, those who are his. So we can be thankful for the conviction when it sets in because it's proof that we are his children yeah, I'm thankful even for conviction and discipline because when we rebel, it brings my heart down to labor, it says. The hard work of living opposed to God. It's like swimming in this stream that the current is constantly pushing in a different way. And this is what rebellion looks like to God. His current, the current of his will and his direction and his leadership and his redemption and his deliverance and all those things that we've been talking about giving thanks for. When we rebel, we're swimming upstream against all of those. But the thing that we should be thankful for is the fact that that current continues to flow. That God doesn't just let us wander away without saying, come back. Without saying in his loving care, saying, it's not good for you. That's why conviction is something that we can say thank you to God for. Thankful for the current that still attempts to bring us to a place of his direction. You see, when we rebel against God, God's going to make every attempt to get us back on the right path. And so I'm thankful for conviction because it reminds me that I'm his child. Two more things that we're done, and then we're done this morning. We can also be thankful for his word. In verse number 20, it says, God sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from their traps. I'm thankful for the word of God. Matter of fact, where would we be without the word? We wouldn't have any access to know him, to know about him, to know his promises that we sang about. I'd have nothing to preach from because I doubt that a lot of people want to come and hear me just spout off my opinions. No, it's the truth of God's word that we hunger and crave. So I'm thankful for the word of God because it's forever settled in heaven and it's a blessing to us. There's a lot of things that the word does for us. It afflicts the comforted 
and or it afflicts, I'm sorry, it afflicts the comfortable and it comforts the afflicted. It reproves, it rebukes, it, but it prays to be to God. It also exhorts us. It's our spiritual food, our guidebook. It's God's love letter to us. As we read his word, the spirit speaks to us because he inspired us. As it says, it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. But I love what it says in the text that we just read in verse number 20. It says he sent his word and it healed them. The word does so many things, but it also heals us in our brokenness. It heals us in our hurt. It heals us in our dejection. His word is a healing balm over our spirit and over our soul. It heals us and it rescues us from the traps of sin. When I'm in sin, when I'm kind of in opposition to God, the last place I want to go is to his word. The only time I turn to his word is when I'm ready to repent. You know why? Because my flesh knows that if I get in the word, the word's going to start correcting me and bringing me back to where I need to be in the, right, in the right place with God. See, where would we be without the word of God? So without the word of God, the church has no direction. The preacher has no voice, and the believer has no source of faith, and the lost has no map to Christ. This is why probably more than anything we can be thankful for the word of God, because it is the lifeline connection to God himself. And lastly this morning, we can be thankful for his word, but I'm also thankful for his power. I'm thankful for his power. And this is something that we just don't have the proper intellect or the capacity to grasp the full measure of, his power. But here the psalmist gives us some examples of the power of our God. He illustrates it in verse number 25 with, the, with kind of like an example of a storm and his hand in it. It says, he spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea. Kind of reminds us of when we went through the book of Jonah not too long ago. And it was rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths. Their courage was melting away in anguish. They reeled and they staggered like a drunkard, and their skill was useless. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress, and he stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Does that seem like a loving, good God that would bring a storm on the sea to put people in danger? No, what seems like a loving God is a God who's with them to bring them to safety through the storm. That it is a powerful enough God who can bring a storm like this, but then also powerful enough over the storm that he can stop the storm at the exact right time that he knows he needs to, and he can provide safety to those that are in the storm at the same time. And I say this, I say this with as much, with as much just confidence that I can muster within my own spirit. We may be in the middle of a storm, and you may be in the middle of a storm right now, but there is no storm that is mightier than God who sits above it. And he can hold you through it. Some of you right now are able to relate very closely to what David's use of the word storm here and his analogy of the storm in verses 25 through 29. That's because you're in the middle of a storm right now. And I love the fact that God is bigger than the storms too. There's a song that I used to sing as a special back in the day when I actually could sing. And it was, it's, it's an older song and it's, the chorus says this, sometimes he calms the storm with a whisper, peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean that he will. Sometimes he holds us close, and he lets the winds and waves go wild. Other times he calms the storm, but all the time he calms his child. So he can use the storm, to, he can cause the storm to come, but he can also cause the storm to go. He can cause the storm to come, but he can hold his children through the storm. He can speak, peace be still. He created me, he can heal me, he can provide for me, he can take care of me. At the same time, meet the needs of every one of his other children and keep the universe on track. 
He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Prince of Peace. Thank God for his power that will never be matched. And in a year like 2020, when we look around and think that there's so many things that are so powerful that we may never be able to surmount them, I promise you on the authority of God's word, there is nothing more powerful than the might of our powerful God. And as we close out this morning, we have to ask ourselves, how do I respond to the truth that I've just seen and heard this morning? How do I respond to a God who's so powerful, who delivers, who redeems? How do I respond to that? Well, it's pretty simple. There's three things that we can do to show that we're thankful as we close out. Number one, I can tell others about his redemption. See, a grateful heart is an emboldened heart that then emboldens our voice to tell people about his goodness. I can also declare his works with rejoicing, as it says in verse number 22. When is the last time you just took a moment, like what our finance team did Sunday night, and just started naming off the things that God has done to someone else. What God has done in your life and just started telling someone about that. When was the last time you've done that? A grateful heart will share God's goodness. And also we should exalt him and we should praise him publicly. It never ceases to amaze me how people can come and go out of church service week in and week out and come in unchanged and leave exactly the same way. Because a God who is good, a God who is mighty, a God who delivers, a God, and, and, and we're set upon his deliverance, and we're set upon his goodness, and we're set upon all the things that we have to be thankful for him for, how can we keep from singing his praise? How can we keep from lifting our voice to him? How can we keep from being changed? We can't. It's just not possible. It has to be that we've turned a blind eye to his goodness. So this morning, what I call you to do is to take those eyes and fix them on Jesus and begin to take inventory of his goodness in your life. Begin to take inventory of what he's done this year, even in, the, in 2020, what he's done in you, in your family, in your home, in our church, at your job. Take inventory. Take inventory of the, the cross. Take inventory of the empty tomb. Take inventory of the manger. Take inventory of God's goodness. And you won't be short on praise. But if you're watching this morning, and I thank you for staying with us all the way through, if you're watching this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, today's the day. Be delivered today. Call upon him and be saved. Pray something like this. Say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I realize that I am in need of a Savior. And I realize you're the only one who can save me. I repent of my sins, and I ask you now to save me. The Bible says if we desire salvation, all we must do is to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll be saved. And if you prayed that prayer from your heart to God, he saved you. And if you were saved today, you have been, like we talked about, you've been delivered You've been redeemed. You've been bought into kinship with God. There is nothing that will ever supersede that. There is no calamity that will ever supersede the miracle of being saved. Nothing. Church, Christian, I ask you, how thankful have you been? Did Thanksgiving come and pass and you really were just like, yeah, it was some good food, but 
I'm ready to move on with my life. Let's move on into Christmas. Let's get all this going and let's try to salvage something out of this wreck of a year. What if through this wreck of a year, God is trying to slow us down so that we can see him more clearly? It's a challenge that I'm personally trying to take. What if I need to slow down so that I can see God's goodness more clearly? I learned that lesson last Sunday night, honestly, on a conference call, on a Zoom call that I didn't want to have because I'd rather do it in person. God showed me that there is a lot to still thank him for. So what is it that you should thank God for? Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.